0: Amen. All right. Well, Happy New Year again, because some of you guys weren't here on last Sunday morning, but we're so glad you're back. Um, Yeah, we're just excited about this year. And it's 2023. Uh, I think I already wrote that incorrectly a few times this week, uh, a habit of 2022. But it's 2023. And um, this morning, we are gonna do, um, we're going to do something just a little different this morning, and then next Sunday is going to be a couple of standalone messages, but they'll kind of tie together, uh, and then on January 22nd, we're going to be kicking off a new series going through the book of James, and so for any of you book of James people, you're like, yes, yes. for other people are like, I don't know about the book of James, and he's a pretty straightforward uh, writer, and uh, so if you like straight talk, hey book of James, you're going to like it. And if you don't, well, you can, uh, you can just get there, So, because um, it's all the Word of God. So uh, it's living and active, right? <clears throat> so, But today, I'm going to be sharing a few things, kind of trying to pull us into just a little bit as to what God is speaking and saying and doing for us here at Antioch and for the Antioch Movement of Churches kind of globally, what, um, what is a key word God's giving us for this year. But then I'm also going to unpack something specific that I think is, is probably a pretty major hindrance to that actually coming to pass. All right. So um, um, every year in the last several years, it's been really uh, a, a neat experience. But what happens is in about September, October, um, there are different Zoom calls are on and, and different communications are going out different gatherings, but the senior pastors and other leaders uh, around the U.S. and worldwide start just kind of praying and talking and seeking the scriptures, say, God, what do you have for us, the people at Antioch in 2023 or for the next year? So we did that, and um, what was compiled was about 40 pages worth of people's prayers, scriptures, prophetic words, things they were sensing from God, dreams, anything you'd imagine and we kind of took all that information, a group of people took all that and said, okay, let's take all this and pare it down. 40 pages is a lot. God is speaking, so that's encouraging. Uh, but we need to narrow it in because uh, we can't have a 150-point plan uh, for this next year. Um, so we've got to narrow it in. And so, God, what are you ultimately trying to say to us? What do you want us as Antioch churches to really focus on and to kind of keep in front of us? And really, in many ways, the Word of the Lord for 2023 for us is unity. It's unity of the spirit, right? And so I'm going to unpack that just real briefly this morning. And the reason why many ways we think this, because the last several years we know has created a lot of disunity, a lot of division within the church and amongst believers. And we believe God is inviting us in a fresh way to say, hey, I want you to go all in with pushing forward with really creating unity again. And, you know, um, sometimes we may think of, uh, of, of, you know, unity or even division, and we may think that it's like the end of everything, that it's to the death of us, and that there's division and there's no hope, and sometimes we may make light of it, right? We may make light of, well, that's just them being them, or they're just, they're just being critical or whatever. And I think that what I want to say is that um, it's not the end of the world that there's division and disunity, and in many ways that actually has to happen right? Jesus even speaks to that in different parables. There's the wheat and the tares. There's different examples to where Jesus even says, hey, guess what? Things are going to happen. People are going to come against you. There's going to be infighting. But just so you know, this is part of what has to happen. Part of, of people having to work through repentance and forgiveness and for people to be able to, to really narrow in on who they are and what they believe in God and if they're willing to obey him. And really, there's, that there's two categories. There are there is obedience and disobedience, right? That's, that, that's kind of it. It's pretty black and white. For people, it's either you obey God or you disobey God, right? And within the church, we've experienced a good bit of division and disunity. Um, but Jesus says in John 13, 34, 35, he says, A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another just as I have loved you. You also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. So in many ways, love for people is a sign of unity. But specifically in 2023, what we are going to be focusing on, and really many of the Antioch churches around the U.S. and our teams overseas are going to be emphasizing kind of these three main points. I'm not going to go deep dive in them today. I'm just going to highlight them today, which is number one is that we want to be a people who have a union with God, right? So unity with God, meaning that we want to, um, just as Jesus said in John 17, 20, he said, I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word, that they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me, and I in you, that they also may be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. It's a prayer from Jesus in John 17, saying we want to see that there is a oneness with Christ. There's a oneness with him so the world can see, so that the world can believe that Jesus is really who he says he is, right? So we want to believe that there's going to be a fresh union with God for us individually in our own walks with Christ. So there's a real unity there. The second piece is that there is a unity with one another, or I'll say a communion with one another, right? That there is kindness, that there is forgiveness, there is grace, there is encouragement amongst believers, that that is what we are known for, is the way that we encourage, and that, as Jesus just said there, as I read in John 13, they will know you're my disciples by the way that you love one another, right? Not by the way you disagree with one another. Right? It's actually by your love they will know. And honestly, amongst Christians in the church, it's not really the issue. When the world looks at Christians or at the church, it's, it's less about, well, are people all in agreement doctrinally? What they are seeing is how do they respond when they have disagreements? Right? like How do they react? How do they respond to one another when maybe there's a disagreement between different denominations and churches? And usually what they see is a lot of spitefulness and bitterfulness and, and hateful speech and coming against each other and divisions. They don't see a coming together and blessing and honoring even though there's differences. What they see is a lot of fighting, which is what they experience. So then it's like, well, there's no difference. Right? How is a church different than any other religion or, or any? How are Christians different than anyone else? And Jesus is making it really clear to us. We have to love one. Another. Like, and that requires a lot. It requires laying down your weapons. It requires taking off the shield and the vest that prevents anyone from getting close. Right, it means you've got to get vulnerable. So there is a a call to have communion with one another, a unity with one another. And then the third piece is this, to have a unity with the body of Christ. So a unity with God, A unity with one another, fellow believers, and then a unity with a larger body of Christ. Or another word you could say would be partnership. Meaning that God is moving, he is moving in a very unique way right now around the world, specifically with missions organizations and missional churches around the world that are partnering and have been for several years on a scale that was never done 100 years ago, 50 years ago, 20 years ago. There is a partnership happening And if you have actually been on the mission field, you are probably pretty aware of that, that that has been happening. No matter what the organization is, people are partnering and exchanging ideas and strategies and resources and thinking about how do we plant a church in a place where there isn't any churches? And if there is something, how can we support what's happening there? There's a lot less territorial things happening. It's more so we just want every person on planet Earth to have an opportunity to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ, to have a chance to respond, to then have a chance for discipleship and to start churches that are going to be God-honoring churches and communities centered in different villages and towns and cities all over the world. And if there's a population of a million people, it probably needs more than one church. Right? <laughs> like, I mean, if it's a village of 100, it probably just needs one church. You probably don't need four churches there, Right? But we need multiple churches planted. We need people working together. And if, the, and if the believers will actually look at John 13 and say, oh, this is by the way we love one another, even in our mission, even in our strategy, then all of a sudden we are more in alignment with what God is doing and has been trying to do. But oftentimes we're the ones creating their own hurdles and, and, and all the blockades for ourselves because of that disunity. So we're looking for partnerships so we can be salt and light. And that's not just on a global scale, but that is locally. That is all the in and out churches saying, hey, how can we have a better relationship with other pastors and leaders in our own city, and our community? How can we start partnering with whether it's the school districts or government or different programs, things happening say, hey, how can we be a support? How can we help? How can we rally together? And what's that need to look like? And it's going to look different in every place. But I'm telling you where there is unity amongst churches and specifically the church leaders, there is extra power and extra grace and extra supernatural happening. That is everywhere on planet earth. I don't have time to go through all the evidence of that, but it is fact. It is true. And I could share with you stories happening in our own country and different cities and places. And I could share with you stories happening around the world. But when churches and leaders specifically humble themselves, come to Come together and to say, Jesus is the head. And by the way, we're just all playing a different part here. How can we join together and to see God move versus everyone just kind of doing their own little thing, then the power's coming. Because that's what Jesus promised, right? He's promised that, that if we will work in lockstep with him and one another, his power will come. But if there is disunity and division, it will be withheld. And this kind of, and and for 2023, this kind of thematic um, uh, idea of unity really comes from Ephesians chapter four. It's going to be kind of the, the, the baseline passage for this. I'll read this starting in verse one. I therefore, prisoner for the Lord, this is Paul writing, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called with all humility and gentleness, with patience. Bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. This is, or There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is over all and through all and in all all. Later on he writes in verse 15 in that same chapter, rather speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head into Christ. Ephesians 4 kind of sums it up. (laughs) We're under Christ. He's the head of the church. There is no other human. He is the head. Biblically speaking, Ephesians chapter 4. Right? And He is calling us into this one faith, into this one baptism. There is one Lord, Jesus Christ. There is kindness. There is encouragement. There is humility. And that we are to eagerly, eagerly go after unity. Eagerly go after it as a people. Now listen, the devil has been after the church for a long time. Right? He came for Jesus in the desert initially and then kept coming after him when he walked the earth because he knew he'd be the head of the church. He knew if Jesus passed the test, the ultimate test of living a perfect holy life, if Jesus passed the ultimate test and became the ultimate sacrifice once and for all, for all mankind, that if he went through that and he was crucified, put down in the grave, resurrected back to life, he knew he was finished, and then the clock was just ticking. He knew it. So we came after Jesus, the head of the church. He's been after us. And then when Jesus ascended up into heaven to be at the right hand of the Father, saying, one day I will return again, he then entrusted his disciples and many others to, hey, now you go spread the good, you go spread the good news of the gospel all over. Start sharing with them who I really am. Some are going to accept. Some will reject. But your job is to be the messengers and to share it. And when people take hold of the gospel, then plant a church there and then tell them to start meeting together and have communion and breaking bread. Teach them to have meals. Teach them to share the gospel. Teach them to pray, have fellowship. Teach them to walk with the Holy Spirit, right? And then, and then, and then you go throughout the Bible and you have Paul and Peter and others who are then writing letters and in are in, 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 in planting churches and counseling and advising Saying, hey, I know it's tough, but this is the way. Jesus is with you. The power of the Holy Spirit is with you. He is coming back soon. Right? And then 2,000 years later, he's still saying he's coming back soon. Right? And we never know what soon is. Right? It's just, it's soon, you know? And so soon keeps us on our toes. Right? If you, if you say that's coming soon, it's like, okay, well, when? Right? Like, soon isn't well come back to me in 5 years and talk to me then like soon is like today today's today you know now we we're, we're not we're not called to live anxiously okay but we are called to live expectantly that's a, there's a difference in being anxious and being expectant i'm expecting Jesus to return. I'm expecting good things to come. I'm expecting God to pull me through this current crisis or challenge. I'm expecting it because I know who my God is and I trust him. I'm expecting there'll be good times and bad times. I'm expecting there'll be storms and there'll be beautiful blue skies with sunny days. I'm expecting all of it. I'm expecting the next frozen thing that bursts my pipes. And I'm expecting it to freeze and not burst my pipes. It's both ends. But none of that's gonna change or deter me from my belief in who my God is and what trajectory I am on in my life because he is coming back soon. And if he's coming back soon, then that means we got work to do until he comes back. Right? We are not called to sit around in our rocking chair, sipping lemonade, just waiting around for Jesus to come back soon. That is not the life he's called us to right he has called us to live a life that is actively engaging with him until our last breath to bring about his kingdom on planet earth now the devil has been coming against the church and honestly in the last few years he's been a little less subtle right can you amen now when I, mean, I think that's true it's like you know, four years ago, well, I don't know, but all this spiritual warfare stuff, or I'm not really sure. I think the devil went to sleep for a while. He got his tail whipped a few thousand years ago. He's just been sleeping ever since. It's like, you are wrong, man. He has surfaced and now he's manifesting in different ways. And it's like, oh, that's real, right? Especially when you had a friend turn on you and look like Gollum. It's like, it's like, what happened? You used to smile, now you're angry. What? Oh, wow, you know? Right? Or the business partner tell you overnight, hey, we're done, or it's finished, or family to, you know, they like kicked you off to like family group text. And it's like, what? You know? It's like, what just happened here? It's Crazyville, right? And so the devil has come against the church in many ways. But I want to take us into a passage to kind of unpack this, because as much as we want unity in the Spirit, we want unity in 2023, I'm going to take the rest of our time today, like the next 15, 20 minutes, to unpack something that I believe is probably one of the major problems or hurdles to actually experiencing that kind of unity, okay? So here we go, 2 Corinthians chapter 1. I'm going to read a lot of scriptures, just kind of hang with me here, starting in verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our affliction, so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort that which we ourselves are comforted by. Verse 5. For as we share abundantly in Christ's sufferings, so through Christ we share abundantly in comfort too. If we are afflicted, it is for your comfort and salvation. And if we are comforted, it is for your comfort, which you experience when you patiently endure the same sufferings that we suffer. Our hope for you is unshaken. We know that as you share in our sufferings, you will also share in our comfort. Now Paul is writing to the Corinthian church Who in the first letter, 1 Corinthians, he talks pretty extensively about the division that was happening amongst the Christians in Corinth. So he's very familiar with church division and disunity. And here in 2 Corinthians, he shares with them um, that we have experienced, he's talking about him and a few of his buddies, have experienced much affliction, much sufferings. We have gone through the gauntlet. And yet I am, but he's saying, yet I have not lost hope in you. I believe in you and my faith and my hope in Christ is unshaken. So for us, what, how do we respond when we are afflicted? How do we respond when we are accused, right? Accusation, affliction. Because as I shared earlier, it's really about what's our response to those accusations and affliction is what people are looking for. Everyone's going to be afflicted. Everyone's going to suffer on some level. Everyone's going to be accused of something. The issue is how do we respond to it? And our hope is that we grow and mature in such a way to where someone comes against us and our response like bewilders them. They're like, how come you're not just crawling in a hole? How come you didn't just quit and give up? How come you didn't just throw it back at me? Like, what? Like, Do you see what they're doing to you? How are you responding with love and self-control? How is that possible? That's what we want to be known for. How can we respond to an accusation that is so hurtful? I think God's desire for us is that the accusations that come directly from the devil or indirectly or through people or hurting people, that they would no longer stick. And I'm gonna share a little bit of my story and journey the last few years, but um, I wish I could say that I had zero accusations stick. But that's not the case. But that's what God's inviting us into. I think there's hope for it. I think it's possible, and this is a mindset shift, it's possible to live in a way to where you're above the accusations. Where you're above it. To where the sufferings, the afflictions, the accusations do not phase you and affect you like they do everybody else. That you live in a higher realm with Christ. That you go to a deeper level in the the Holy Spirit so those accusations no longer stick. I going to continue reading on here in 2 Corinthians in verse 8. For we do not want you to be unaware, brothers, of the affliction we experienced in Asia. For we were so utterly burdened beyond our strength that we despaired of life itself. Wow. There's a lot of people who have despaired of life itself, sadly. Indeed, we felt that we had received the sentence of death. This is Paul. Like, it was so bad. We felt like we received the sentence of death, which is, there is nothing worse. I mean, despaired of life. This is Paul writing 2,000 years ago. Despairing of life itself. Indeed, we felt that we had received the sentence of death, but that was to make us rely not on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. I'm gonna read that again. But that was to make us rely not on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. We're going to come back to that, but that's, that's another level. To experience a sentence of death and that kind of suffering. And to say, uh, you know what that was for? To make me rely on God, not me. It's like, whew. But I think that's what God's inviting us into. Verse 10, he delivered us from such a deadly peril... And he will deliver us again. He will deliver us. On him we have set our hope that he will deliver us again. You also must help us by prayer. So that many will give thanks on our behalf for the blessing granted us through the prayers of many. Now listen, we have all experienced accusations. These afflictions in our lives. And if it wasn't this past year, it's in the past few years. And, you know, the ones that hurt, right, are the ones that came from those who are close to us. The the accusations don't hurt as much when they're from like a stranger, you know, or like at a distance. Or if you're actively engaged on social media, or you've got some blog you write on or something, and people come at you, it's kind of like, okay, that's some random person. Okay, but, but what if it's like your roommate? What if it's your brother or sister? What if it's your aunt and uncle? What if it's your parent? What if it's your close cover? What if it's your neighbor you're close with? What if it's someone in your life group? Right? Not that that would ever happen. But what if it's someone so close? Someone you've been so vulnerable with. Somebody you've already opened up to. Somebody you 've already shared your testimony with somebody you've already they 've already seen you at your lows and your highs and you 've exposed your life to them willingly thinking believing this was going to be mutual. I expose myself, I serve you, I pray for you, I bless you mutual I expect that's going to come back to me you're going to bless, serve, be vulnerable, be real, be honest and then one day what you thought was a two way street. Turned into one-way. And by the way, when you're down that one-way street, it's like those signs that says dead end. And you're going, you're thinking, this is a good relationship. This is going well. And then you come up on the one-way street and it's a dead end sign. And then you find out they've just peaced out. They left. Or that hurtful thing they said, that they, they feel like they truly believe and they'll never take back. Whew. Man, that hurts. Those are accusations. Those are some afflictions. Paul, he said, man, I felt so crushed in a sense. I felt like I despaired of life itself. But what was his response? But it helped us to stop relying upon ourselves. Now listen, I'm in the same boat as you. I I want more of that. I want more of the when I'm afflicted, when things come against me, that where my mind and heart goes is, oh, this is to teach me to rely more upon God and not Tyler versus getting so focused in on just that situation. Does it make any sense? I think there's something for us there. He says to stop relying upon ourselves, but to what? But to rely upon the God who raises The dead. So I think it's interesting because Paul just mentioned how he just received, felt like he received a sentence of death. So then to rely upon a God who can even raise the dead, then he's even believing, even if I got the sentence of death, he'd raise me back to life. That's a belief. It's like, oh, I'm sentenced to death, but it's okay. Now, where else have we heard of that before? Right? Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego. Hey, you can sentence us to death and the fiery furnace. Bring it on. But he'll take care of us. But if he doesn't want to take care of us today, that's okay. We're still not bowing down to you. So either way, we win. We're not bowing down to you, a false God, and we believe that our God will rescue us. I mean, wow! That's where we want to get to. That's what I want. I mean, I need some of that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego blessing, impartation, where is that elixir? Oh, just Woo! Bring it on. I do not fear death. Oh, man, what if we didn't fear death? What if you didn't fear anybody but God himself? And your fear was only on him. I'm not saying you don't take down the rattlesnake. Okay, when it's coming at you, your kids, I'm not saying that. Don't be afraid. You just take it down, okay? But I'm talking about our human fear, really, of one another and what happens in relationships. And oh, but we have got to press into a deeper place, church. If we want real unity with God, to know, as Jesus said, as I and the Father one, I'm praying that for you. To have unity with one another, knowing that we are imperfect. Unity with God is much simpler than it is with each other, right? Because he's not doing anything wrong, we are going to wrong you. I'm going to say something you don't like or don't agree with. and I haven't yet, you, this is your first day. Let's be real. I know it, you know. That's why I'm not on social media, so I don't have to hear about it. You should come talk to me in person, which is biblical. If you have a problem, we get to have a face-to-face meeting. I will even buy you coffee. And I've done that for many people. We'll get to that in a minute. Now, we've experienced much affliction and accusations. And listen, at the start of 2021, about two years ago, I began feeling the weight of the accusations in my own life. It was something I'd never felt before. You see, 2020 started, and like many pastors, kind of scrambling to figure out what to do with church. And then, you know, with everything going on, it just, it came at you different size, and it kept coming. And it uh, seemed like you couldn't do right with whatever you did, whether that was with church members or with staff or with family or anyone. It's kind of like, everybody's kind of like, oh my gosh, I do it. Is, is anyone on my team anymore? I'm on no one's team, you know? And that's what it felt like for a lot of senior pastors, not just me, but for many. And, um, <clears throat> you know, I I would have told you in 2020, in many ways, I kind of felt like, I don't know, Samson in that moment, I'm certainly not strong, but just, but in that moment, like holding up pillars, just kind of like holding up with your strength, you know, and it's almost like an adrenaline that was rushing through me for like that entire year. But then once the year ended, and once we got into 2021, and I started reflecting a little bit, I realized how exhausted I was, and how beaten up I was by accusations, Now, if you know me for a while, I'm fairly tough. I work hard. I cry once or twice a year. (laughs) Emotionally, I can grow. Okay? I'm admitting that from the stage. Um, So I'm not one to be like, woe is me, pity party. You're not really going to see that or hear that, right? My kids don't get that from me. They probably would like more of that. Like, Dad, give us a break. It's like, no. You know, it's just, okay? So I've got my own issues, all right? But, 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 but being weak and having a little pity party about what something said about me is not in my makeup. But after a year of taking it on the chin a lot, man, I like started spiraling. All right, so two years ago, I started spiraling. And um, when I say spiral, don't hear me say, all of a sudden Tyler went into a bunch of immorality and sinful living. I didn't do that. I wasn't a drunkard. I wasn't dabbling in drugs again. I wasn't seeing any other people. I wasn't cheating. I wasn't doing, okay, I was still living my life. But I was kind of like Eeyore. You know Eeyore? Winnie the Pooh. It's like, come on, Eeyore too. Okay. I had the Eeyore syndrome. You may have never had that. But it's kind of like, it's like a sign of like some sort of depression. It's like, man, Eeyore. Yeah, he's depressed. You know, that's how I felt. I couldn't, I now I still came to work. I still did stuff. I still coached baseball and dealt with my kids. We celebrated birthday parties. I didn't go off and hide somewhere. But I was struggling, man. I was like, oh, And I couldn't figure out how to shake it, to be quite honest. And I looked back at 2020 and I was like, my desire was to be a really good listener to all the accusations. So I would call people up who left our church or who had said hateful things or whatever else, say, hey, can we, can we meet up? Or I would text them if they wouldn't return our calls, and then, um, and then we'd meet up. And then they would share with me, either a lot or a little. And I usually just, one of those meetings saying, 90% of this is about them talking, saying whatever they want to say to me. Because my desire was to hear them out. But what I didn't realize is that I literally exposed myself to them just unloading a bazooka of pain that I had a part to play, but I was like one small sliver. There's what happened when they were five and then what happened in high school and then what happened then and then with their spouse or this deal or some other church that all of a sudden I just got all of it. You know, it's like, I may not have known them for about a couple months. It's like, but here's all the pain you've caused. What? I barely even know you. And then for others, I've known you for a decade. Right? Like like I did your wedding. Right? Like I I baptized you. Like I discipled you. We hosted your baby showers. Right? Like like my wife was there in a time of need for like we were there. We it was a two-way street as our mind went. But you're telling me it's now one way and here's the dead end and it's over. And I took it. And I just took it as, I'm just going to take it. I remember coming to the office with a few of the folks who were here, and I was like, man, another week. Here we go. And my week was half sermon prep, half working things out with the staff, and then half just meeting with people just to unload. And I took it. And I'm sharing with you this. I don't, I've never shared this before. I'm sharing this with you to hopefully get you to be thinking about the stuff that's happened to you because I want us to be free. I'm not sure if is you're like, poor Tyler. I don't need any of that. I don't want that, honestly. That would that would not help. What I need you to hear is that me being fairly tough and fairly secure, I think, and who I am and in God, and knowing that I don't have to be here. I can be a janitor. I, I, I don't have to do this. this. I'm not tied to this, just, you know. Billy can tell you that. He say, like... like Hardy's great to give this up. This makes my life easy. Can I just listen? I love listening. You know, but man, I mean, so just, you know, there's not some weird deal. But man, the accusations were like, it was like layers and layers of shirts being put on me. This one, this one. And eventually I got, after a year of that, and I was like, I am so weighted down. And I couldn't figure out how to shake it. But in verse 11, in 2 Corinthians here, he says, You also must help us by prayer, so that many will give thanks on our behalf. For the blessing granted us through the prayers of many. You see, Paul had to deal with all this affliction and all these different accusations and things that he had experienced. And yet I will tell you this. I'm going to tell you four reasons why I got breakthrough. And hopefully this will resonate with you and give you hope. If you're in the same place I was, I believe the breakthrough for me was number one, that God's promise to deliver me again, that I held on to. Like I will come out of this one day. He will deliver me from my enemies. He will deliver me from this pit. I feel like I am in from this despair of life itself at times that I feel like I am in this trap I feel like I am. He will deliver me. I didn't feel that. I wasn't showing that. But I knew that in my soul, he will take care of me in the end. I don't know when and I don't know how. Obviously, I would have already tried to figure that out, but I couldn't do it. That God would do it. Number two, people prayed for us. Now, when I say that, I mean a group of people came to us kind of around the time that I was hitting my wall and said, hey, how can we help you guys? And we didn't know what to tell them. I don't think I even wanted to have the meeting that night. Ashley was like, we're gonna have them come over. I was like, I don't want anyone to come over. You know? And uh, they said, what can we do? And she was, I was like, I don't know, babe. What do you want to do? And she's like, y'all can pray for us. So they started praying for us weekly. Maybe not every single week of the year, but most weeks of the year, they would gather and pray one morning a week for us, for our family. And Ashley kept them up to date on things happening and they faithfully prayed and contended for us and have been. We'd never had that in our previous years leaving the church. I think that was a significant part in my breakthrough. Thirdly, I needed someone to speak the truth to me in a way that I could hear it. You see, you can read truth, someone can share truth, but sometimes it has to come a certain way. We went to Italy for a conference for all the Antioch church leaders around the world in early November. And Clarence Hill, who's the senior pastor at Antioch and Norman, stood up and he shared a message. And a lot of it had to do with these kind of accusation pieces that we'd experienced. And what he said was, he said that, that many people And he felt like, specifically, he said, I know there's people in this room today that feel like that they've been bathing in accusations, like showering in it, daily. To the extent to where you take what people have said about your character, who you are, your family, whatever else decisions you've made, and you wear it. And you can't shake it. And at that moment, I was realizing, oh man, that's what I've been doing. I've taken what others have said, I've allowed that to alter who I am, my view of God. I've allowed to alter my work, my family. I've now become a semi-insecure person, which I never would have said that before. And now I'm questioning and doubting many things all the time. And I'm like, oh, it's because I'm wearing the accusations. That's exactly what the devil wanted. He wanted people who had their own pain, to blast me and then me take their pain and now wear it and take me down with them. I needed the truth spoken to me. The fourth piece, and maybe I'll say the most important one, is my wife took it upon herself to faithfully fast and pray for me one day a week. And I don't even know how long she's done it for but thank you. And many days she fasted and prayed and I didn't think anything of it. And she would say that when she said, God, how do I help my husband? How do I help him? It's not that we hadn't talked, we talked a lot. <laughs> but he said, you need to fast and pray for him. Cause this is not something of the flesh. This is a spiritual warfare happening for his life, his soul, his calling. And she's contended for me. And she would never tell you that, but I'm telling you now. And for all the men out there, that's the kind of wife you want. And for all the women out there, that's the kind of wife you wanna be, is to fight for your husband in such a way, even though he's not seen to breakthrough after months and months and months. So I believe that verse 11 where it says the prayers of the many is significant for us. And so this morning, how I want us to, to close is acknowledging that there is a spiritual battle that is waging. And that battle of accusations and lies are coming at us. Not just me, but anyone in this room has experienced things. And where I want us to land today is that I want us to take some time to respond and to invite God in to expose any accusations you have felt have come against your character, against you as a mother, a father, a son, a daughter, a follower of Jesus, a worker, that there are things that have been said about you that are not true. And just, you know, there's many things that were said that I took to heart and I was like, I need to change. Yes. It wasn't like I'm perfect. I had so many issues, (laughs) but the problem was, I took the good and the bad all the same and lumped it on. And the bad just weighted me down. And so this morning, I want us to stand as we close this morning. I want to invite our life group leaders up here. If you could come up here quickly. Um, see if our life group leaders, make yourself available. But here, here's how I, I want us to, to close with this because this is what <clears throat> is significant. There's there's two verses, I, two passages I want to read as we close this morning because I... I wish I had more time to unpack it this morning, but um, I want you guys to be reminded of the fact that in John 10, 10, it says, the thief, speaking of the devil, comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. That is his nature, to steal things that are not his and people that are not his, to kill and to ultimately destroy. But Jesus said, I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. Jesus is saying, my purpose, my mission is to give life. The devil's purpose is to destroy it. And we have to remember there are different voices out there. There are competing voices. And when I'm sitting I'm listening to people or I'm walking through this world, there are different voices. There's the voice of God and the voice of the devil. There are two voices. There's the father of lies and the father of truth. There's the one who brings about death and the one who brings about life. And I was struggling, grappling with trying to block this one out and receive this one because it got so muddled and I got so weighted down with accusations and with things that were spoken of me or my family or what we're doing. And it was so hard and so weighty and we suffered for it. I suffered, my wife suffered, my children suffered, our staff suffered. This church suffered because of it. Everything that we are responsible for, it touches that. Do you know that? That when you are weighted down, it affects everyone around you that you love. And certainly the people that God has put in, in the realm of your responsibility, it absolutely affects them. So there's different voices out there. But I want to read something from Revelation chapter 12, 9 through 11. Talking about the voice of the accuser. And the great dragon was thrown down. The ancient serpent, who is called the devil and Satan. The deceiver of the whole world. He was thrown down to the earth. And his angels were thrown down with him. And I heard a loud voice in heaven saying... Now the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Christ have come. For the accuser of our brothers has been thrown down, who accuses them day and night before our God. And they have conquered him by the blood of the lamb and by the word of their testimony. For they love not their lives, even unto death. That is the accuser of the brethren. That is what he's doing to me and he's doing to us. And it says he is not stopping day and night. This is revelation. This has not come to pass yet. He is still accusing today, tomorrow, next week. He's coming after you. He's coming after the church. He's going to work through people that you love, people that are close, that's where he's coming. And so we are going to expose him. In 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 10, I came across it this morning. Anyone whom you forgive, I also forgive. Indeed, what I have forgiven, if I have forgiven anything, has been for your sake and the presence of Christ. So that we would not be outwitted by Satan, for we are not ignorant of his designs. Ooh, I hate being outwitted. I hate being made to be a fool. Don't you hate that? Ugh, the devil is outwitting us. But we're exposing him today. We're exposing what he does. He steals, kills, and destroys. He is not your friend. He is a father of lies. He is the accuser of the brothers. And we have taken on accusations, not just from the world, but from one another, and have worn it, and it has beaten us down, and made us instead of God's holy, righteous, salt and light army, been a bunch of Eeyores, At least I have. And and you know, if 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 your captain for this army's walking around like Eeyore, I think everyone's going to feel. Right? Sure, we can take them. No, we can't. We can overcome that sin struggle. I don't think you can. Good luck. No. It's, we're going to fight. Because even unto death, it is by the word of our testimony, by the blood of the Lamb, that is the unity that will come to pass. In this nation, and in this church, and in this city, we are going to contend for that, and fight for that. And you have to contend. The world wants this unity and division because it's still ruled by the devil. Jesus will return and make all things right. That hasn't happened yet. Therefore, the current assignment is for us to partner with him to do that work. It's for us to partner with Christ to say, we will bring about unity and forgiveness and humility amongst ourselves, and that will spread, and that will move, and that will overcome any level of darkness and hatred. That's what overcomes it by the love we have in our hearts to one another. So this morning, let's respond by just taking a moment here and saying, God, expose the lies, expose the accusations I have put on. So I want to just take a moment right now, just ask God, God, expose one lie, one accusation I have taken on. I want you to expose it, God, and I want to have it removed from me. I want to have it thrown out and removed from me, never to return again. And if God exposes something, if he speaks to you, just come up here to one of these people, they're safe. Just come up and say, here's what's going on. Will you pray with me through this right now? Pray with me through this accusation, through this lie, because I want to be free, so come on up. If you've got something, come on. Everyone's got something going on. I want God to speak to us this morning so that we don't walk out of here still limping along with accusations or lies about us with these afflictions, but we give them to God. We thank you, Jesus. Come, Lord.